All right. Boy, I miss this group over here. Since school has started, we've had such a large group of college students worshiping with us, and many of them are on retreat right now, uh, coming back this afternoon. And as much as we enjoyed the rain, I hope the river's down low enough for them to get out. I've actually been there before when it wasn't, so I do hope they return safely. I know they've had a great weekend together. For the next few moments, we're going to look at a very difficult story, uh, Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And this is a story that, uh, quite honestly, is often skipped when it comes to preaching. In fact, I've even read in books on preaching, don't do this one, all right, because there are a lot of problems that come up, a lot of things to be discussed. But I knew how brave you guys were, and I'm kind of, um, you know, clueless, and so uh, here we go. We're going to just plunge right on through. Let's be standing, please, as we read this wonderful story out of Acts, produces wonder and awe. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge... He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan had so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money that you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me. Is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. I warned you, this is the Word of God. Do you like to watch people, just to take those opportunities to kind of sit back and see what everybody's doing? We're we're kind of funny, aren't we? It's certainly interesting to watch how we act. And one of the things you notice about people, as you observe, is how quickly we sort of jump on the bandwagon. Whatever it is that's the most exciting thing, whatever it is that's the newest thing, whatever it is that's the current thing, so many people want to go and do that. For example, let an American girl win a gold medal in gymnastics in the Olympics. And the very next morning... Every parent in America has signed their three- and four-year-old daughters up for gymnastics lessons, haven't they? Or if you, Super Bowl Sunday, uh, get out before the game starts and drive around town a little bit and see how many football games are going on in front yards and in the streets and in the parks. 
And Bill Makeda, I never will forget, told me one time that the most dangerous place to drive is in the parking lot after an automobile race because suddenly every driver has become a race car driver. So we're like that. Whatever's going on, we want to be a part of that and want to be involved in the excitement. And that's what's going on in Acts chapter 5. Because if we back up to the end of Acts chapter 4, we see a little story about a man named Barnabas. And we get to know Barnabas a little later in Acts as well, but this Barnabas was such a great man that he took a piece of property, and evidently a fairly significant piece of property, sold it, and gave all of the money from the sale of that property to the apostles to be distributed among the poor of the church. Well, you can imagine, as word got out about that, the generosity of Barnabas, how people were impressed by that. You hear them talking, did you know that Barnabas sold his property for that much money, and he gave it all to the church. He gave it all to the, be- to the blessing of the poor. And what a great man Barnabas is. What a generous man Barnabas is. And, and he was. Well, there was a couple there in the church that got a bright idea. They said, you know, we've got a piece of property. We could sell our piece of property and we can give the money to the church and everybody will think we're great too. Everybody will be talking about us as well. So Ananias and Sapphira, they they took their land, they went out, they sold it, but they kind of had a problem. They just had trouble letting go of all of that money. You know, you get that much money together, you look at your bank account, or maybe you're even holding the cash in your hand, and you think, wow, you know, there's other things we could do with some of this money. I know that Ananias wanted a flat screen TV. You know, and he thought, you know, here is my chance to go and to buy that, that huge flat screen TV that I've always wanted. And Sapphira starts thinking, well, you know, there's some shoes down there in the mall that I would love to have. And I haven't bought them because they're so expensive. But wow, with this money, I could go and buy those shoes as well. But on the other hand, they wanted the church to recognize how generous they were. Now, it would be possible, and it would certainly, as the story points out later, It would be great if they just gave some of their money to the church. If they just gave some of the money to the apostles and kept what they wanted to keep. There was no problem with that except that the people wouldn't be nearly as impressed with them as they were impressed with Barnabas who gave all. So somewhere along the way they hatched this little scheme, didn't they? We'll give this money to the apostles and we'll just pretend that we're giving all of the money while we keep back this portion for ourselves. In other words, we'll lie about it. Well, we know how that worked out for them, don't we? It didn't go quite as they expected it to go. As I pointed out before we read the story, this story is a difficult one. There's things in it that just sort of jump out at us. and We go, wow, you know, I don't know if I like this story or not. One of the great difficulties is the, the, just the severity of God in this situation. I mean, certainly the God of the New Testament. When we think of, of the God of the New Testament, the Father of Jesus, we think of Jesus himself and the coming of the Holy Spirit. We think of mercy and grace and love. And, and here's Ananias that's made a mistake. And he, he comes in and he presents the money. And you sort of expect Peter to say, Ananias, you're lying. And that's wrong. 
And you need to repent. You need to change your heart. You need to do something about this. You need to own up to what you're doing. Come on now, Ananias, don't do this. But that's not how the story goes. He comes in, there's a brief exchange. Peter says, I can't believe you're doing this. And boom, Ananias falls down dead. And then three hours later, his wife comes in. And Peter doesn't say, hey, you know, Ananias died because of this lie. Do you want to take this opportunity to confess, you know, what you're doing? And no, boom, she falls down dead as well. Does that bother anybody else? Yeah. And and there's even little logistical problems in here that sometimes are pointed out. Things like the fact that that Sapphira comes in three hours after the death of her husband, and Jerusalem is not that big of a place. And, And yet she hasn't yet heard that her husband fell down in a public assembly and has already been buried. Of course, she was probably out shopping for the shoes and did have her cell phone turned off so that nobody would bother her, but still, that's, you know... So that's one reason that people point out there's just some problems with this story. Maybe we ought to just skip over it. You ready to sing the song? Maybe we'll just skip it and go, no, we're already into it. Let's go. And the main reason I wanted us to talk about this is because the people who wrote the Bible, in this instance, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he wasn't a dummy. You know, he knew there were problems with this story, too. And yet, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he chose out of all the stories about the church. And wouldn't it have been great? I I wish that that Luke had left his notes behind of the stories that he didn't have room to put into Acts, you know. Because there were lots of stories about the church that he could have put in. But he carefully chose the ones that he thought were the most important. The ones that not only the people at that time, Theophilus, needed to know, but that we need to know as well. And so, here it is. And it must function in some way and do something for us. So for the next uh, 14 minutes, we're going to look at this story and ask, what is it that this story can teach us? Three things that I've got. I'm scriptural today. Three points. Don't have a poem, but I've got the three points, all right? Point number one. Boy, does this story ever teach us how serious the problem of sin is. You know, we tend to underplay how serious the problem of sin is, especially those sins that nobody else sort of knows about, you know, the ones that are just kind of there and haven't yet become public knowledge, maybe only the ones that that God knows about. This story tells us how offensive to God our sins are. Do you remember the story of David whenever he committed the sin with Bathsheba and and worked like crazy to try to keep it all covered up? And then he even had her husband killed so that he could cover it up. And he, he thinks it's got it all contained. And then all of a sudden, boom, it blows up and everybody knows it. When he wrote his prayer to God in reaction to the deep sorrow that he felt about what he had done, It's interesting to me in Psalm 51, he does not say, God, I'm sorry that I did this thing and now everybody knows about it. I'm sorry that I got caught. Now, what he says is this. I have sinned and I have sinned against you alone, my God. My God, I have offended you. 
So this story tells us how seriously we need to take our shortcomings, our mistakes, the things that we do that are just blatantly wrong, our sins. In fact, the way that that Luke tells this story, there's, there's a parallel story to it in the Old Testament. And Luke was obviously very aware of it because if you look at the Old Testament story and you read it in the Septuagint, which is what Luke would read, the Greek version of the Old Testament, and then you read Luke's version of Ananias and Sapphira, you find out that he uses some of the same vocabulary, the same words. So he's obviously wanting us to remember this Old Testament story. The story is the story of Achan in Joshua chapter 7. Does anyone remember the story of Achan in Joshua chapter 7? Achan was a part of the Jewish army, the Israelite army, that had defeated Jericho. And the commandment of God was, was that they were supposed to destroy everything in Jericho except the most valuable things they were supposed to bring and dedicate those to the Lord. But reminiscent of the story of Ananias and Sapphira, Achan decides he wants to keep some of that stuff for himself. Can you blame him? I mean, you got all this gold piled up. Achan probably had never had a thing in his life. And now he's carrying this huge bag of gold and he's going to give it all to God. It wouldn't hurt just to take a little out and bury it under his tent and nobody would ever know. The only person he would offend was God. And yet his sin became known because God let it be known. And the penalty of the sin of Achan was the same as the penalty of the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. One more little note on the parallels of this. The whole community of Israel suffered because of the sin of Achan. It's interesting that in this story of the sin of Ananias and Sapphira, This is the first time that Luke ever calls this group of Christians church. That's another thing about the offensiveness and the seriousness of our little private sins. Is that they're not that private after all. That every time we choose the wrong way, every time we slip and we fall, we not only hurt ourselves, but we make this church less than it can be. And we put this church at risk. Luke wants us to hear that as he tells us the story of Ananias and Sapphira. He wants us to take very, very seriously anything we might be harboring in our own hearts that is offensive to God. Jesus, when he talked about sin said, whatever it takes to stop doing it, it's worth the price. Do you remember when he told us that? He said, you know, if it's your hand that's causing you to sin, what did he say do? Cut it off. You know, just that hyperbole. That, that, of course, we know it's not just the hand, it's, it, but he's just saying, you know, whatever it takes. If it's your eye that causes you to sin, plug it out. It's well worth the price to stop it. Well, Luke tells us that too through this story of Ananias and Sapphira where they thought they had something worked out and it was going to work out and nothing was going to be known and nothing will problem and boom, and they die. Point two, 
It's interesting that a story that emphasizes how offensive sin is to God also tells us how great is his mercy and grace. Do you think for a moment that in that church, a church that now numbered, it sounds like, about 8,000 people at the time this event happened, that in a church of 8,000 people that Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira were the only sinners? Do you think when that church came together that Ananias and Sapphira were the only two that brought sin into that place? I can tell you, it's not written in Scripture, but I know for a fact that that church was still filled with sinners. People struggling with all kinds of things. There were people in there who were lying, just like Ananias and Sapphira were. There were people in there that were greedy, people that were not giving as much as they could give to the poor, people who were still holding on to way too much stuff for themselves. There were people in that church who were abusive to their spouses or abusive to their children. There were people in that church who were unfaithful to their spouse. There were people in that church who were disrespectful or disobedient to their parents. There were people in that church who were battling whatever the addictions of that day were that were eating away at their souls and their lives. There were people in that church who were stealing from their employers. There were people in that church who were wrestling with sexual immorality or even sexual identity. There were people in that church who were hating someone who were sitting just three rows behind them. I know there were because I know there's the same people here today. You don't get that many people together unless you bring some problems in. And just like we have problems in our group today, you know they had problems in theirs. Now, I don't know why exactly. We're going to offer something here in a moment. But I don't know exactly why God chose to single out Ananias and Sapphira and let the rest of those people walk out alive. But I do know that the rest of the folks walked out of that church service that day only by the mercy and grace of God. And the only way that we're going to walk out of this church service today alive is because God loves us and he's merciful and he fills us with his grace. Paul says in Romans chapter 2 verse 4, don't you realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The reason he's going to let us leave here alive today as he wants to give us every opportunity he can for us to repent of those things we're holding on to, of the mistakes we're still making. He wants to give us every chance that we can for us to turn to him and to receive the forgiveness of our sins. So when we read this, we think, wow, what a harsh God. And in the case of Ananias and Sapphira, God in his wisdom chose to do that. But what it also does is make us think, wow, and he still is putting up with me. And he's still giving me another chance to put things right.
And that's his mercy. And that's his grace. Third point. This story emphasizes in particular how dangerous it is to lie to God. After all, that was the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. We've said, and the story said, and we've talked about it, it wasn't that they kept some money for themselves. Peter says, that's fine, you can do that. It was your money, you could do whatever you wanted to with it. That wasn't the problem. Well, it might have been a problem if they were too greedy, but that's not what caused their death. Their death was caused because they wouldn't own up to what they were doing. They wouldn't be open to God. They wouldn't confess what was going on. And because they weren't willing to do that, maybe that's why they had no opportunity to repent. Maybe that's why God said, you know, it's over. As long as you're going to just keep this to yourself and you're going to pretend it's not going on, as long as you're going to lie to me, then there's no sense giving you the opportunity to repent. You're not going to repent. You're going to just keep stuffing it down there and pretending it's not there. It's kind of akin to another harsh verse in the Bible where Jesus says that there is an unforgivable sin. Does anyone know what that unforgivable sin is? Yeah, we all know what it is. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Well, this is a lot like that. What does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? That means to call God's Holy Spirit evil. And and Jesus says, you know, when God puts himself out there on the line and he shows you who he is and you point at him and say he's evil, what hope is there? There's no hope for repentance. If you think good is evil, then where are you ever going to go with that? Well, here in the story of Ananias and Sapphira, God lets us know that if we're going to lie to him, if we're just going to pretend everything's okay, and we're not going to open our hearts to him and let him touch the sore places, if we're not going to let him heal where we have been injured, if we're not going to let him root out the abscesses that live within us, then it's over. Frederick Beekner is one of my favorite authors. And if you've sort of tuned out, and I know this is kind of a difficult thing to talk about, and some of you may be going, I don't want to hear this. And I don't blame you. But tune back in just for this one statement, okay? Frederick Beekner once wrote, Lying to God is like sawing off the branch you're sitting on. The better you are at it, the harder and faster you're going to fall. The longer we keep lying to God and saying everything's okay with me, the longer we avoid just putting it out there and saying, here's what's wrong. Here's what I've done. Here's what I'm doing. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Apostle John put it this way in what we call 1 John chapter 1. If we say that we have no sin, Now, I know John's dealing with a theological debate at the time. But, you know, I I don't think in my years of ministry I've ever had one person come up to me and say, I have never sinned. We know better than that. We're not going to say that. None of us are going to claim to have never sinned. But I think what John is also talking about here, the way we say we haven't sinned is we just don't think about it. We just sort of push it to the back of our mind. 
you know, hope it goes away and just sort of slide it over there. If we're not willing to deal with the fact that we are sinners, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. And Luke would tell us we're also lying to God. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we own our sins, if we can wrap our minds around who we are and the mistakes that we're making, and if we confess our sins to God, to others who love us and are concerned about us, if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Perhaps in the long run, lying to God is the worst thing we can do because we're just stuffing it down and not owning up to it. We all came in this room as sinners. Chances are are we're going to get out of here alive. But don't leave a living sinner. Leave a living, forgiven sinner. Take this song that we're about to sing. The lyrics of it help you even. Take this opportunity to open your heart before your Father and own who we are and the things that are, are there that shouldn't be there. Hold them up before Him and receive His mercy and His grace and His love. And if you're really struggling and need some help, we're going to have some of our elders, staff standing around the sides, the back, After services, some of the elders gather in our parlor, which is just down that hallway at the back. Go and let them pray with you. Stop the lying. Start the confessing. And receive the wonderful mercy of our Father. Let's stand inside.